chapters to the book of Galatians in chapter 3. If you're visiting with, me, with us uh, this morning, there's, uh, there's Bibles in the rack in front of you, and you can grab it. The page number is in the bulletin. Um, and if you're visiting with us and you don't have a Bible at home, uh, then please feel free to take that Bible home with you um, as a gift from us. Uh, we have more. Um, we will always be able to, to swap them in. Um, it's a church, so we have no shortage of Bibles. Uh, but uh, but uh, we, we want to encourage you to do that. We have been looking through the book of Galatians, and we have been, we've been diving into the, the, the culture, the problems, the issues of this particular church. Um, Galatia, if you, you haven't been here very briefly, uh, Galatia is an interesting area of the Roman Empire. It's essentially central, what is today, the country of Turkey. They called it Anatolia or Asia. Um, and what's interesting about this particular area is it's populated not by Greeks, not by Jews, not by um, to, uh, Syrians or, or Babylonians or you know, any of those people, but by Celts who had been brought in as, as mercenaries to protect the borders of a, uh, of a Greek kingdom there. And we know for, for historical fact that for several centuries, these, these Celtic people continued their, their, their Celtic culture. Uh, Jerome, uh, uh, Jerome actually writes about, in the 4th century, Jerome writes about the fact that they still speak Celtic languages there. Um, and he was a well-traveled guy who had actually been in Gaul and heard people speaking Celtic languages there and could, um, and could understand some of what they were saying. So it wasn't like he was making it up. Um, they, they had uh, uh, Celtic um, worship sites, uh, what would be called temple complexes. And they, they did not like the Greeks. They liked the Romans because the Romans let them do whatever they felt like doing. Um, so they were allowed to be on their own. And somewhere in his first missionary journey, and we're not entirely sure when it was that he did it, the Apostle Paul somehow got some churches started in this region. And the Galatians seem to have really latched on to this idea of the resurrected Savior, this idea of Christ and Jesus. Now, part of that has to do with their Celtic religion, which we're going to talk about next week. Um, this, this idea that their religion is very much built around trees and poles and, and worshiping around. It, it, it was a kind of a nature religion, but not what has been kind of reinvented as Celtic religion in the last couple hundred years. Uh, but, it, but it was very much built around this idea. Um, we have records going all the way back to before Christ about how the Celts uh, tended to view certain trees as sacred. And we know that they, they had that kind of practice in Galatia based on archaeological expeditions. Um, in their capital, they had a sacred tree. They also really, really like women. Um, and I don't, I, don't, I don't say that crassly, they, they, they revere women as being somewhat divine just by their nature of being female. Um, and so there was a, there was a certain element uh, of the way that they saw the world. And Paul draws so much on their worldview when he speaks and writes about Christ and doctrine and belief. And I think this is something that's often ignored in the book of Galatians because people assume that the Galatians are just Greeks, just like everybody else. And so they go and they find references to Greek practices that kind of sort of shoehorn into Galatians, and that's what they say. This is a very unique book. It has a number of, um, of words that, he doesn't, that Paul doesn't use anywhere else. 
Um, in fact, he has one or two that we're pretty sure he just invented so that he could describe things to them. Um, so, so he has this very interesting way of approaching things. Um, and he will actually make, he will use arguments that he uses elsewhere in the scriptures. He will use the same idea and bring it into, the, into his letter to the Galatians and will turn it a little bit so that it makes more sense to them. So we're going to be looking in Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to hit a couple of those, those things today, but we're going to primarily focus um, on what Paul, what Paul has to say about the gospel uh, and about revelation. So Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. Paul says this, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain or, or empty? Was your suffering empty, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And then he begins the next section. I'm not going to get into it, but in the next section he says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Now he'll describe that curse and he'll actually turn it around and make it about Christ. But I, I want to just um, end right there with, chapter, with verse 10. We're going to look at chapters 3 uh, through 9 for the most part this morning um, and just kind of unpack what Paul says because I think it's a very freeing um, statement that he makes for us in terms of our faith. So would you join me in a word of prayer as we look again to the word? <clears throat> Father of lights, all good things descend from you. All that we have is a gift of you, from you. And whether that gift is prosperity or impoverishment, whether it's health or sickness, whether it's struggle um, or it's victory, we know that you are God. You are not just our God, but you are God over everything. And although we don't always understand what it is that you are working, we don't understand what it is sometimes that you are revealing and teaching and Lord, we ask that you would um, give us comfort in your will and in your work. Lord, that as we turn to your word, we might hear your voice, that your spirit might speak to us. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So Paul opens with this statement, O foolish Galatians. Now, uh, foolish is about as close as we can get in English, but um, the, the, the term that he's, he's using, um, it, 
it really means thoughtless or, or you're not thinking it through or you're seeing it wrong or you're remembering it wrong. And I think that for all of us, there are, there are situations in our lives where we see something and we think we understand it and then we understand that we don't understand it. Um, uh, and maybe we, as we, we start with a little bit of knowledge and we go, ah, oh, I got this mastered and then suddenly we, we discover that we, we don't. Um, and this is called the Donning-Kruger effect. It's actually been studied by, in psychology. Um, but it is this idea that, when you, that your, your knowledge horizon is always expanding. But you always believe you understand things well. Um, I mean, nobody ever, nobody ever says, um, you know, I, I learned this thing and um, I don't really understand it. Usually it's, I, I learned this thing and I, got, I think I understand it pretty well. I think I got, I, I think I got this, you know. Um, the first time a, a homeowner decides to change a, a, a light fixture and they read a book or watch a YouTube video on doing electrical work and they say, and, and you know, of course, you know, his, the wife is sitting there and the husband goes, yeah, I think I understand this. And then he touches a screwdriver to the wrong wire, goes flying across the room and she goes, maybe more videos. Um, you know, uh, there's these things, I mean, I mean, all of us, right? When we, we discovered that we were going to have kids, um, in this modern world, almost always somebody comes along and hands you a parenting book. Here's a book about how to be a parent. And you read the book and you talk to your parents and your friends and you go, I'm pretty sure I can handle this. And then that little wriggly, disgusting thing, all right? who is a human being and you love it with all of your might and strength and power and everything, actually starts making noise and moving around and causing trouble. And you figure out, if you're like me, you figure out you're not even strong enough to swaddle the dumb thing. It keeps fighting you and you don't know what to do. And you're sitting there going, I got this manual. I, I read the book. I, somebody bought me a user's manual for babies. I think it was Charlie. Um, bought me this book, and it was written like a car maintenance book, and it was how, you know, it had things like stop signs, you know, like do not immerse child head first, things like, I mean, it was like, it was interesting, I mean, we had our daughter, and man, we did not know what we were doing, we thought we had it figured out, and then we discovered we didn't, well, the word that he's using here, oh foolish Galatians, he's really saying about the Galatians, look, you, you, you're, you're seeing it wrong. You're, you're misunderstanding. You're, you're, you're getting it wrong. You, you, you think you know what's going on, but you don't. All right? your, your thoughts are not lined up with reality. And unfortunately, we all know that this is a conversation we have all had to have with somebody who is not as mature as us in some area. And we've had to say, you think you know how this is working, but you don't. Would you please let me explain it to you? Would you please let me help you? But then he follows this up with this line, who has bewitched you? And this is a curious turn of phrase. It's the only place in the whole Bible, certainly in Paul's writing, but in the whole Greek New Testament that this particular word appears. And it's not very common in secular Greek literature. It's kind of hard to find. There's only one other biblical place that appears in the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, uh, which just means the 70. Um, in this, this Greek translation, it's actually an interesting gloss in Deuteronomy 28 
there's a, a line about how, you know, um, when sin enters the world, uh, enters a, a, a society and people become corrupted and they have to be judged. And it says that even good women will beguile their husbands with their eyes. Now, I have no idea what that means. But the, but the word beguile is the same word as bewitched. Uh, I, and, but for the, for the Galatians, they understood what this meant. Um, in Celtic religion, now in almost all non-Christian religions, there are these kind of natural nature gods. There's like these, nature is kind of worshipped as a deity. Whether, whether they're the jinn in, in pre-Muslim Arabic, uh, Arab uh, folk religion, or the kami in, in Shinto in Japan, um, or in Celtic society, um, the fairies... Now, of course, when we think of fairies, right, what do we think of? Tinkerbell, right? That's what we think of as fairies. But, but in Celtic religions, and then in the, the kind of uh, Celto-Roman religions of the British Isles later on, and that's really where we, we find this preserved, and also in old Irish folktales, um, there was always this belief that the people that came before us, that lived in this land, have been pushed into hiding, and, and because they've been pushed into hiding, they're, 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 they have hidden kingdoms in the woods and, 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 and underground and all of these things. And if you read the old fairy stories, not, and by old I don't mean the 1800s, I mean if you read the old fairy stories, what you discover is that fairies um, would, would beguile or bewitch people and they would draw them off. Now, there's a Greek word for it, uh, succubus, which is, which is a female that, that bewitches a man and draws him into a relationship with her um, and so that they can conceive a, a half-man, half-fairy uh, being. I'm not going to get into too much of the wacky mythology that's involved in this. But in Celtic religion, there was this idea that you could be bewitched or controlled by an outside force and led to do, or an outside being actually, and led to do something that would alter your perspective, your view, your way of life. And ultimately would result in the, the birth of, of something corrupted. And when we discover the use of this particular word that underlies bewitched here, it is almost always used in Greek literature to describe somebody from a non-Greek society seducing, manipulating, bewitching, controlling someone in the society to do something that is not appropriate in the Greek society. So Paul takes this word and he seems to apply it to a common experience, which is this kind of deceptive manipulation, not necessarily magical, although it can be, and, and probably in the Celtic world it, it was viewed as a magical thing, but this idea that somebody could mess with you and get you to do something that is contrary to common sense and make you foolish, make you unthinking, unthoughtful. Now, we all can look back in our teenage years and recognize that that never happened to us as young people. We were never once seduced into, into behavior that went against our beliefs. We were never once played. We were never once controlled. 
But this is one of those things that we, we as Christians have to be aware of. And this isn't even the main point of the sermon, but, but it's something worth, worth understanding. There are many people trying to convince you that certain ideas are true. And when they keep insisting that those ideas are true, before too long you subconsciously start to believe that maybe they have merit. And before too long, those things that you think may have merit become things that you are relying upon as true. And we have to be aware that that happens to us. That, that condition exists. If you don't believe me, um, you probably have never read 1984. And if you haven't read 1984, you should read 1984. And that's all I'll say about it. All right? Because one of the big points about 19, the book 1984 is the way that language has control over the way we perceive the world. Don't believe me? Consider this for a moment. Consider this idea for a moment. Um, and I'm not... I'm not going to get into this, but I just want you to listen to these two words. Pro-life, pro-choice. Is choice the opposite of life? Listen to the way the words are phrased pro-choice, pro-life. The way that we phrase things dictates the way that we read them. But if you were to say that the argument was between pro-life and pro-death, you would view them very differently, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Think about this one. And I do not mean to offend anyone by my use of language. I probably will, and I apologize for you being offended. <laughs> Living together, fornication. Queer, alternate lifestyle. Does language determine the way that we describe ourselves? Does it change the way we view things? Religious? Spiritual? How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual? What on earth does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means I'm open to whatever supernatural experiences make me feel good about myself. That's what spiritual means. It's not what it means in the Bible, but it's the way it's used. So I, I bring these up not to bring in the pro-life, pro-choice argument or even to talk about uh, gay rights or any of those things, but rather to get you to understand that the way we use words matter. It's called the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis. The way that we form language in our minds dictates the way we, we view the world. 
and in the 1950s, the government did this all the time, in 1950s and 60s, because rather than calling things where Americans went and died, wars, they called them police actions. They called them, uh, 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 my favorite, relief missions. You know, we, we always invent ways to describe things to make them more palatable to ourselves. And that's bewitching. That's getting us to see things the way that, they're, that others want us to see them rather than the way they really are. I could go on and on about our manipulation, the way we've manipulated the concepts of um, the word automatic when used to apply to a firearm, but I won't get into that. Because that's not my point. My point is that they had been bewitched. And so then the Apostle Paul says this, and this is such an interesting way of saying things, isn't it? So he's like, you've been messed with. You've been manipulated. You've been controlled. Language has been used to play you. And then he says this, let me ask you, uh, verse, two, uh, verse 1 still, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now the word translated as publicly portrayed, in your other Bibles it might be say, it may say evidently presented. There's a lot of different ways this word is phrased. I think that these are all really, they're, they're, they're accurate, but, but there's a better way to describe this. The, the Greek word is, is prographo, and it means publicly written or published. I believe that this is actually Paul describing, alluding to, the existence of written Gospels when he was preaching. Now, now, a lot of modern scholars are wrong and disagree with me, but, the, but I, I, believe, I believe that the Gospels were being carried and preached to the churches. It wasn't just oral tradition. It wasn't just, oh, one day they would write it down. But there were actual written documents that were being presented because this is the word that in the Eastern Roman Empire was used when a new consul or a new sen- a proconsul was appointed to oversee a government. They would prographo, they would write his name on a piece of... On a, on documents and post them publicly. So he says, you know, you, it's been read to you, it's been presented to you, it's publicly stated that Jesus was crucified. He's been shown to you to be crucified. He's going to come into the crucifixion thing later in the chapter. But let me, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? So he gives a two-pronged statement. He says, he says, you know, you've got, you had a written testimony, and we bore witness to you. And we know that we know that Paul was there, we know that Peter was there, we know that Barnabas was there, we know that people from James, the apostle from Jerusalem, have all been in Galatia at different time periods. And a lot of eyewitnesses have come forward and said, we, we can, we can stay, say for sure Jesus was dead, he was buried, he was raised again. This has been published before. He says, so let me ask you a question then. He says, was it by the works of the law that you received the Spirit, or was it by hearing in faith? He said, did the Spirit of God move among you because you were good, obedient Jews? Or did it move among you? Did he move among you because when you heard the word, the written, published word of God about Jesus Christ crucified, you believed? You heard in faith, and he moved. 
Which one happened? Now the obvious question, answer to this question is, it was they heard about Christ. They, they received the word about Christ, the crucified one, and believed in faith and the Holy Spirit moved among them. And that Holy Spirit's work, he will point out later on in the chapter, is the fruit of it, it proves that God is at work and that you are alive and you are, uh, you are saved and you've been quickened by the Spirit and all the different ways that the Scriptures describe it. So how did that happen? It didn't happen because they obeyed the law because they didn't know the law. It happened because they heard Christ. And the foundation of biblical theology, of biblical Christianity, is those two components that are intertwined with one another. The revelation of Jesus Christ and the movement of the Spirit in those who believe. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm going to now spend the rest of today talking about an application of that principle. So all the stuff we just talked about in Galatians and all that stuff, save that for next week. You've got to come back. Every once in a while, I put up a graphic, a chart, to talk about our Christian faith and balance, and I'm going to do that today so that we, we understand this balance of revelation and the Spirit. Now, I came up with this chart a few years ago, um, and again, I put it up every once in a while because th this is so important that we understand that we have the written revelation of Jesus Christ in the Scriptures, the Galatians had a written gospel. I believe they, they were presented with a public proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they had the spirit of God because of their belief. But as Christians, the Galatians had let things get out of balance in one particular direction. And their direction was that the Judaizers, the Jewish preachers were coming along telling them they had to observe the law because that was what was in the Bible. And so they abandoned the Spirit and rushed toward the written Word. And they said, we don't, we don't need to worry about what the Spirit did. We need to worry about what was written. And these things must be held in balance. There is a tension between the written Word and the movement of the Spirit. The Spirit checks our reading of the Word. The Word checks our, our feeling of the Spirit. On the graph in, in front of you, um, up at the top of the graph is a line that says the high view of Scripture. We hold to a high view of Scripture at Bedford Road Baptist Church. We believe it's the inspired Word of God. It's the final authority for all things in faith and practice. And we make no apologies for that. Um, if you have questions about the inspiration of the Scriptures, if you have questions about why we adhere to the Bible, we'd be happy to answer those questions. Just be aware, um, uh, that's what we believe. So people say, do you really believe that when the Bible speaks to something, the Bible is really telling? Isn't it just kind of men's opinions that got, you know, they've been put together? No. We believe that the Holy Spirit, the, the Apostle Peter said that men, holy men of old were moved by God to write this. That it was the breath of God. And in, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said that every word, every, the scriptures are God-breathed. And they're profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, correction, and righteousness. That the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto good works. Do all good works. We believe that the scriptures are the word of God. So we hold a very high view of scripture. Um, the opposite of that is a low view of scripture. And if you want to know what a low view of scripture is, just read Time magazine around Easter. 
All right, because around Easter, every Newsweek, Time magazine, everybody and their brother will be writing an article about Jesus, and they'll be talking about how this is the historical Jesus, and the Gospels don't really tell us about Jesus. They'll, they'll at one point kind of allude to the Da Vinci Code as if it has any historical bearing, beside the fact that it's completely and utterly inaccurate in every single historical report that that book makes. Um, but the, but the, uh, the whole idea of a low view of Scripture is the Scriptures basically, they're either just a, uh, a human book, they were just written by a bunch of guys. Um, they were compiled to control people, which you will hear. Those of you go, if you're in college, you will hear that in your Western civilization class. I guarantee it. They will tell you the Bible was compiled by the church to keep people under control. They'll tell you all of these things. That's a low view of scripture. A low view of scripture would also include those people who just quote scripture without any consideration for the context of what they're quoting. They just find a Bible verse that's convenient to them. And again, I don't mean to offend people, but if you followed this movement, you were wrong. Um, A few years ago, there was a Prayer of Jabez book that came out. And there was this verse from Chronicles that somebody quoted about Jabez prayed to God and his his lands were enlarged or some nonsense. I can't remember exactly how it was phrased. And everyone was walking around going, well, if you just pray the right prayers, God will enlarge your property. And somebody one time asked me about it and I said, that's completely and utterly out of context. misinterpreted, they left the church. Such is life. All right, so the, the, a low view of Scripture can take many different forms. Um, a low view of Scripture can appear to be a high view of Scripture. But a high view of Scripture is, this is what the Bible says. I may not like it, but in context is what it says, so I'm going to stick with it. We joke around about this one sometimes. I mean, like, like the, you know, the Bible says, you, you know, you're... A bishop is a husband of one wife. That means I'm the husband of one wife. That's the way it goes. All right? It doesn't matter what my feelings about the thing may be. The scriptures have statements to say about what marriage is. The scriptures have th- statements about what sin is. And those things are not up for grabs. It's not up for debate when adultery may be okay. I was like, well, maybe can I get away with it just this one time because I found an account in the Bible where somebody else committed adultery and it seemed to be okay for them. Uh, my favorite is one is to debate polygamy because in the Old Testament there is no condemnation of polygamy whatsoever. And so somebody one time said to me, he said, well, since the Bible never condemns it, it should be okay. I was like, you know what? You try that first of all. I said, but, but secondly, there's not a single place in the Old Testament, although it does not condemn polygamy, there's not a single place in the Old Testament where polygamy works out for anybody involved. It is always a terrible situation. Uh, all you have to do is ask Rachel and Leah, who were married to Jacob, how polygamy worked for them and their family. And God used, used them despite themselves. So there's a high view of Scripture and there's a low view of Scripture. And then there is a high spiritual sensitivity a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit at work in our midst, the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit speaking through His Word and through His people. And the Scriptures describe many, many times in the Old Testament the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church, His work amongst His people, giving gifts to the church, to the world through the church, um, the Spirit calling people into ministry in Acts 13. Um, there's all kinds of aspects that we have to be sensitive to the Spirit. And then there's a low spiritual sensitivity. And those are the people that that believe they are the frozen chosen. There is absolutely no flexibility in the way they operate. I have a friend, God bless him, 
who's a member of a denomination whose worship is dictated by a book. Surprisingly not an Anglican or Roman Catholic. Um, but in this book, it tells him who is allowed to be on the platform, who is allowed to pray publicly in church. And I'll give you a hint, they all have to be ordained ministers. So, the hoi polloi, all of you, you just get to watch. Now, interestingly, and I had this conversation with him, when I told him that that actually comes out of the, the, uh, the Council of Trent, um, it's actually a very Roman Catholic view of the ordination of, of, uh, of pastors. And boy, did he get upset with me. Because he's very anti-Roman Catholic. So he was, like, he was like, no, that's not where it came from. It came from the Bible. I'm like, good luck on you finding that one. So a very low view of spirituality, a very low view of the Spirit, is that at best, the Spirit of God is just kind of a warm fuzzy we get to carry in our pockets that tells us we're a Christian. But other than that, these two things, our view of the Spirit and our view of the Scriptures, if they get out of balance, we wander off into all kinds of different categories. If you have a low spiritual sensitivity, a sensitivity of the Spirit, a low sensitivity of the Spirit, and a high view of Scripture, you will become a legalistic fundamentalist. Now, I'm a fundamentalist. I believe that there are, there are certain things about the Scriptures that are non-negotiable. The deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the virgin birth, His imminent return, the inspiration of Scripture, uh, justification through Christ alone. Those are fundamental, foundational, orthodox views. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the kind of fundamentalists who make their, wives, their, their women wear doilies on their heads and skirts all the time. I'm talking about people who have absolutely, they believe they're going to take the Bible and they're going to beat you with it. You guys met any people like that? You ever met anybody like that? All right. This would include, by the way, not only some fundamentalist Baptists, Presbyterians. I met a fundamentalist Anglican. That was an interesting conversation. Um, uh, but it would also include the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses. They have a very, very high view of Scripture and a very, very low view of, of the Spirit of God. On the other extreme of the Spirit thing, Right? And on the other side of the Scripture thing, if you have a low view of Scripture and a very, very high view, or a low view of, of Scripture and a high view of the Spirit, you will inevitably get sucked into unstable emotionalism. And we all know Christians like this. Who one moment, oh, praise Jesus, the greatest thing that's ever happened. Oh, praise God. Oh, look at it. And the next minute, <gasps> those people that are living for that high of the presence of the Spirit, those that are in the, the more, the, the, the extremes of the charismatic and Pentecostalist movement, all right, who, when they come to church, they believe that when they get in a church service, they better speak in tongues, see healings, and possibly roar like lions. And if it doesn't happen, oh, the Spirit didn't move in me. He didn't, oh, there's something wrong. Now, this also leads to this constant doubting of whether you're really in a relationship with God. Everything is dependent on your own works and your own abilities. Oh, if you're not wealthy... And these, these, by the way, <clears throat> again, since I'm offending everybody, I might as well just get through it. Everybody on Christian TV falls in this category. 
I mean, there might be one or two exceptions, but I've never encountered anyone on, on Christian TV who didn't have a low view of Scripture, and they manipulate Scripture to get it to say what they want it to say, and a very high view of the Spirit. And they say, they say oh, the Spirit moved you. And, and I could, oh, I don't want to offend. I'm going to go ahead and offend people. People like Benny Hinn are unhinged. Now, I'm sorry if you like him. He's nuts. Besides his monogram jackets, which freak me out to no end, he has no comprehension of the Scripture at all. And, and lest you think that I'm saying this out of ignorance, I have read a number of his books. I was willing to say, I was willing to give the guy the benefit of the doubt. He's nuts. He believes that the spirit of God that he has is actually the spirit of Kathleen Coleman come back from the dead and filling him with her giftedness. Now, if you don't know who Kathleen Coleman is, Google her. She was nuts. She believed that the spirit of God called her to divorce her first husband because he was holding her back from the ministry. That's the least of the things that Coleman believed in. High view of the Spirit, low view of Scripture. And the thing about the Spirit is, if you don't have the Scriptures, you don't know how the Spirit actually works. Now, let's go low view of Scripture, low view of the Spirit real quick, because that's going to give us theological liberalism. Then a low view of the Spirit, all right, and high view of Scripture is going to give us fundamentalism. Those two are the same thing. I, 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 don't, I don't mean to offend anybody, but I'm doing such a good job of it. I'm just going to keep going. Whether it is theological liberalism that denies the authority of Scripture or theological fundamentalism, which denies the presence of the Spirit of God living and active and animating the church of Jesus Christ, they both come to the... They are, it's a zero-sum game. They result in the same thing. Dead Christianity. Because without the Spirit, there is no life. The Bible says that. So where should we land? Where should we land? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. The written word of God. So let me ask you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? The Spirit of God. What makes biblical Christianity, biblical balance, biblical submission to God is a high view of Scripture and a high view of the Spirit. They are not mutually exclusive. Now, in my Baptist training, where I was trained in a college with Baptists with a big B, whereas I pastor a church with Baptists with a little B, all right, in the college where I went, there was no room for the Holy Spirit. Everything could be outlined, analyzed, quantified, quantized. You want to build a big church? Here's the formula for how to build a big church. All right. And by the way, that's not exclusive to the Baptists. Ray will tell you, every denomination, every association wants to sell you. Every, 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 every pastoral conference you ever go to wants to sell you the package on how to make your church huge. All right. You want to build a big church? Here's the plan. Here's the portfolio. Just three easy payments of $99.95. All right. They, they, there's all, and there was no room for the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, everything was founded on human knowledge, human decisions. In order to become a Christian, you know how you became a Christian? You decided to become a Christian. had nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. It was your decision. But then I've also been in places where there was no Bible involved in you being a Christian. I was like, well, do you feel the Spirit? If you feel the Spirit, brother, you are a Christian. There's, there's balance. And the balance is a high view of Scripture and a high view of the Spirit. Now, when Paul deals with the Galatians, what's their problem? They have a high view of Scripture. So when new teachers come to them and tell them this is what the Bible says, they go, okay. But they have abandoned the Spirit of God. They have abandoned the presence of God that they experienced when they heard the preaching of the gospel. They have become lost in... Um, and one day I'm going to come up with a better term for this because every time I say stuff like this, people think I'm knocking on theology and doctrine, and I'm not. But they have become lost in dogmatic doctrine about what they have to do to please God, and they have lost the presence of the Spirit who revealed to them, first of all, they couldn't do anything to please Him, and secondly, it pleased Him to save them. They've fallen out of balance. Now, can we look at this diagram and be just a little bit honest? We'd all love to believe that we sit in that top left corner, top right corner, wouldn't we? But left to our devices, don't we drift? We drift away. Sometimes we drift away from the leading of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we drift away from the authority of Scripture. And you don't believe that you do it, maybe, but you do. You do. You know how you can be sure that it happens to you? How many times have you been reading the Bible and a passage you had already read before strikes you as being more true than it had been before? And you go, oh, wow, I should accept that as the Word of God. Well, you've already read it. You've already seen it. The Spirit's already been moving in your life. But you've drifted. The authority of Scripture has waned in that particular category, that particular area of your life. You are led to pray for a brother or sister and you don't do it because other people are praying for them. Other people are given to take care of them. Other people are worrying about that. Has your view of the Spirit started to drift? I would contend it does. It has. Because when prompted to pray, you go, nah, it's all taken care of. When prompted to serve, nah, it's all taken care of. It's all handled. We drift. Bill Hybels one time said uh, a phrase that stuck in my head, and Bill's, had, Bill's got some issues. I wouldn't send anybody to his church, but, um, but he said this. He said, vision leaks. Faith leaks because we're human beings. From time to time, we have to reset. And that's all Paul is doing to the Galatians here. He's resetting them. He's saying, look at where you've gone. Reset. You think you're okay. You're not. 
You, you've drifted. I'll illustrate this from life and then I'll be done. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this from me, but I do martial arts. Those of you that have been or new, you haven't heard it, but everybody that's been around has heard it over and over and over again. Uh, the guy that started our school died in 2013. He had ALS. It was terrible. Um, and uh, we have another teacher. We have another couple of teachers. Now, now, this may also surprise you, but I'm the historian and the archivist. So I have, I have just whole hard drives full of video of people doing our martial art. Um, and many of those videos are from Ben, the guy that started our school. And I also have a pretty good memory, um, especially of things that I've seen, um, and, and a relatively good grasp of the kinesthetics of, of the art that we do. Um, and not as good as other people think I do, but, but I, I do. And I will be sitting in class sometimes, and someone will say, and this is how Ben did this. And I will go, no, it isn't. Here's the video of Ben doing it. And I kid you not, I have people going, well, that's not the way he did it in class. Are you telling me he, didn't, he made sure he didn't get it right in the video? Fortunately, I have multiple videos of him, so I can pull up other videos. But what happens is we drift. Our memories are not nearly as good as we think they are. Our ability to continue in something is not nearly as good as we think it is. All you have to do is mow a lawn to realize that our perception is not as strong as we think it is. I'm mowing a straight line. I did not mow a straight line. All right, you, we all experience that, right? That happens in our spirituality as well. That happens in our devotion to the scriptures as well. And so from time to time, maybe not as severe as Paul does with the Galatians, but from time to time, we have to reset. We have to ask questions. You say, what questions should we ask, Eric? Thank you for asking. Question number one, what do the scriptures have to say? Question number two, how is the spirit leading me? Question number three, do they fit? Do they fit? Because sometimes you think the Holy Spirit's leading you, and he is not. And you can tell that because when you compare what he's leading you to do, it doesn't line up with the scriptures. And sometimes you think the Bible says something, and it does not. I asked kids one time, quote a Bible verse to me. After five or six, of the, what's a Bible verse you've memorized? After five or six kids quoted, Jesus wept. I, I asked them to quote another verse, and a kid said to me, cleanliness is next to godliness. I went, no, that was John Wesley. Another kid said, I'm not kidding. Another kid said, from each according to their ability to each according to their need. That's Karl Marx. We're getting further away. But, but the reality is we may not have those extreme situations, but our memory of what the Bible says drifts. And if you've ever had to say somebody to somebody, well, the Bible says it somewhere. It might be a good idea to make sure it really does because you may be quoting second opinions. And you really need to make sure 
that you have a high view of Scripture and a high view of Spirit. Now, the other side of it is, is the Spirit leading me to do this? And, is, and, and we have to check that against Scripture. You know, one of the extraordinary things that people will blame the Holy Spirit for is, well, I really felt led by the Spirit to do this incredibly unhealthy, unsafe thing. I can't remember who it was. I got I to gotta end with this one. Somebody, somebody was telling me about a, a, a church building. It was a mega church. And they took a $97 million loan. It's a mega church, big, big church. And then couldn't make the payments. Why would the Holy Spirit lead us to do this and then not provide? Do you think maybe the Holy Spirit didn't lead you and your greed did? That's why I don't get invited to pastor's groups anymore. <laughs> Saying things like that. $97 million. Oh, and guess what? All the members are financially responsible. It is a for-profit organization. And they are the shareholders. The Holy Spirit led us. He did not. Why? Because in that moment, low view of Scripture, maybe a high view of Scripture, or a high view of the Spirit, but it all drifted away. Now thankfully, that church was able to get out of that hole, continue to survive. But that stuff happens. It happens. We do it, don't we? Don't we? We do it. We need to reset. We need to track. We need to, we need to gain perspective. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we are not dealing with anything massive, we're not dealing with millions of dollars, We're just dealing with our lives. Lord, help us to know your word and to be led by your spirit and to reset when we need to. That we might keep these things in balance. And Lord, when we deal with difficulty, we deal with challenges, we can fall back on your word, your spirit, your people. Help us to receive correction, not as condemnation. Lord, help us to be guided by your spirit and your word and to be your church. We pray this in Jesus' name.